Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 69 for Monday, June 13th, 2016. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast at giggabpodcast.com here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in las gatas california it's paul kent i'm all amped up dave i am too so we should tell people we're not actually in durham uh, or los gatos it, we are both traveling at the moment that this show is released in fact i'm over there and i think you're over here but i don't know you're somewhere yeah yeah but so, uh, we just had an experience. The first, you know, what, this is episode 69. Yeah. And uh, I think this is a highlight. 68 was like one for the record books. I think so. It's, it's almost too bad that we, we're recording 69 literally 10 minutes after we finished recording 68, which was the episode we did with Jan Hammer. And if you haven't heard that last week, frankly, I think you should stop playing this one and go listen to that one first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this one's going to be like, but. I, I would go listen to that one if I were you uh, and then come back and listen to this one and, and find out with us. But, uh, but yeah, it's almost too bad that we can't do this episode after hearing your feedback from, uh, from 68, but our travel schedules are such that that's just not how it's going to work. So, and I didn't want to wait a week to put that one out. I wanted to, you know, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. So man, what a, a, what a nice guy. I mean, he is. a genuinely, you know, gentle soul who was just kind of sharing some amazing stories. Oh, he had so many good stories. I knew some of them coming in. Um, most of them were news to me. So, which was great. <laughs> Especially the one about playing with Jocko, man. God. Or almost playing with Jimmy. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I knew that one coming in. I, I, Well, I didn't know that he met him. I knew that he didn't play with him and really wanted to. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I know. I didn't realize that they met. What a, what a career. What a life, man. Yeah, I mean, cool stuff. Fantastic stuff. I, I, like I said, we've been doing this a year, year and a quarter now. And, uh, you know, we've had some nice guests, you know, some really thoughtful people that come on. But someone of that stature to give so freely of his experiences like that. I mean, he talked about talked about his rehearsal regimen. And, you know, I, I, I really that, that that little bit about our the greatest musicians made or born. I thought that was really revealing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, everybody, if you haven't listened, go listen to it. If you have listened, go listen to it again, because it was a real treat. What are we talking about today, Paul? Actually, so we, we should got- we should rewind a little bit and talk about our our gigs, because I had you jinxed me, by the way. Um, you talked about in 67, you talked about people behaving badly. In fact, we both did. But you brought the topic up. Yeah. And sure enough, Friday oh, night, uh, the Friday night thereafter, the very first gig I played after we had that conversation, th- we were doing an acoustic gig, but we were up on a little bit of a stage and, uh, you know, we play kind of rock and acoustic stuff and we're having fun and there's people dancing. And, uh, sure enough, I see this guy being, uh, I was going to say a little handsy, way too handsy, uh, with this woman that he was with, but Thanks. And I started thinking, oh man, you know, am I am, now, now that I just had this conversation with Paul, how, you know, and I gave him advice, am I going to follow my own advice and ignore this? Or, you know, how do I do it? What am I going to say? 
and thankfully uh the woman that uh with whom he was being handsy uh handled the situation perfectly uh she 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 stopped him and uh and they they were together and they stayed together for most of the night but uh but she reined him in and and it all was good but uh yeah that's, like, so, that's weird that that exact same thing would happen to you after not having happened for a while. Literally right in front of me. I mean, it was like I've lived, I lived. I'm, I'm now living Paul's story. It's right <laughs> here. Unbelievable. <laughs> the gig went really well, though. It was, um, it, you know, it's a pizza place acoustic gig. And I love uh, those pizza place acoustic gigs. I don't know why, but there's there's always something special about it. It was our first time at this club. But um they have their own PA there. We brought our own mixer because we use the, the Mackie, the DL1608. And so it's all dialed in for everything we have. But it was nice to just be able to plug into their mains and, you know, not have to carry stuff in. And the gig worked out really well. Fun. You know, it, it, it's interesting you bring this, you know, this pizza place acoustic thing up. So I've actually been thinking about scaling back my acoustic stuff and, mm. um, and scaling back from the restaurant type gigs. Mm. And the thing is... Now I'm fortunate. This is not my only source of income. So, right. you know, I, I, there are people who it's a gig and it pays and I'll provide the music and, and I totally get and absolutely emphatically respect that. Um, those gigs are really, really hard, distracting and, and, uh, they're hard emotionally for me. You know, I just want someone to listen to what I'm trying to say. Right. And I, you know, I have a little bit of a group, you know, that comes out to see me and, you know, they're, they're, they pay attention and I really, really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm right now. Um, thinking about scaling it back to just venues that are more about listening to music. And, and it's, so it's something on my mind, even though it's always, it's always fun to play no matter what solo gigs, when you're competing with the TV and, you know, and it's, it's not really a music venue. So people kind of walk in and it's nice that there's a musician there, but you know, they, and those who want to listen are also pulled by the ambient noise of everything else going on. I'm, I'm considering Weighing yeah. the pros and cons. I love working and I feel very appreciative for the amount of work that I get. But, sure. but uh, I, I think I'd like to make it a little bit more impactful when I play and, you know, try and say something and, and have people listen. I think that's a big part of the exchange that works for me. You, you understand what I'm saying? I do. Uh, yeah. It, and I've, I've never done a gig, a solo gig. Right. These these acoustic gigs that I do are are with a band and typically with two other people. So it's a trio. And and there's so there's some safety in numbers. If there's no one paying attention to us, we pay attention to each other. And and that usually helps bring people in. Right. I mean, that I can imagine that's a that's a tough part for a solo act, because I've always felt like and this is true with a big band. You know, It doesn't matter how big your band is. But if you've got someone else on stage with you. And you can interact in a and, and show the crowd that you're interacting in a way where you're relaxed and having fun together. That brings that that opens the door for them to have fun with you too. It, it, well, that's an interesting point, and, and the part of part of this that I'm wrestling with is um, if I'm good enough, wouldn't they stop and turn around and pay attention to me? And I, I don't that that doesn't have anything to do with it. I, I, I no, I really because I've done gigs where and, and acoustic gigs, electric gigs, it, it doesn't matter, although it ha- it can happen. I feel more easily with electric gigs where you can alienate an audience. Um, but I, I, it, I don't think it matters how I mean, I guess if you're playing a song that they love, they're just going to engage with you anyway. But if you don't show them that the door is open to engage with you they likely won't open it. And if they do, sometimes they open it in the wrong way. You know, (laughs) 
so I've always felt like, you know, having that banter on stage really is, is more for the crowd. I mean, we, frankly, especially in monkey fist, Johnny D and I, I mean, we do it for ourselves because we just love cutting up together and, and we have fun and we sing and we're, we're laughing at each other and with each other in the middle of songs and, and, you know, and, and keeping things, our harmonies were brilliant the other night. I mean, it was, we got to within one song at the end of the last set before we had a blown harmony. Ah, oh, it was, it was fine. Okay. I mean, you know, it was, but it was, it was really good all night, but you know, we're cutting up with each other. We're relaxed. And, and I think that makes for a better, certainly makes for a more fun gig for us on stage, but it invites the crowd in and uh, I can totally see we're doing it solo. You've got to, you know, you've got to turn on the, the charm in a, in a very intentional way. That's, and that's not easy. I, I don't know. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that that's a skill. Yeah. And you know, I could take the approach. Should I use this as an opportunity to work on that skill? Yes. As opposed to just saying, I'm going to take my toys and you know, go home and, you know, go to a place where Pun. it's all the way I want it to be. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's that inter- internal monologue that we all have as musicians is like, you know, I'm great. I'm not that great. You know, oh, <laughs> it kind of goes oh, back and forth, you know, dude. I can do this, you know, you know, I'm good enough that I'm going to, you know, impose my art upon you. And, and, uh, but why isn't anybody listening? But then someone listens or, you know, someone gives you a tip or, you know, someone says something kind to you and you're like, all right, I'm, 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 I'm doing pretty good here. I'm not I'm, terrible. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm adding to the world in a little bit here. And so that's the hard thing is part of me wants to dig in my heels and work harder to be better at it and create a thing. Yep. You know, a scene that if, if someone hears I'm playing somewhere, they know they're going to be entertained and resist the temptation to uh, just become part of the background of a place. Yeah. Which, you know, that's, that's the way that a lot of the inertia works with that. Right. That's right. You know, like I said, yeah. there's, 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 you know, love going on at the bar, there's TVs on, there's, you know, dishes clanking and all that type of stuff. It's not, it's not an optimal environment for singing a soft, quiet love song. No, no. Well, I, I, um, so this weekend, Friday night's gig was like butter. It's just like everything worked and it was great. And then Saturday night we had our, our fling fest and this was a sort of different fling fest for us because we had just released our, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show last week, just last week released our five song EP, the five songs we've been working on recording. And, uh, and so we played our intention and, and it's what we did was to mostly play originals at this thing, which was fine. Uh, you know, we bring a, a, a very friendly crowd in. It's our crowd and it's fine. But, um, you know, you're putting a lot on the line when you're doing that. Um, and uh, and so we had another band come and play and they were outstanding. We had so we had the the our, our kids. Well, some of us have kids in this band uh, Jam Patrol. They've played with mm-hmm. us at every Fling Fest that we've done and they played. And then we had this other band called C-Spot that uh was a, uh, I'm friends with some of the people in the band. I'd never actually seen them, but I, I trusted that they were good. I'd seen their set lists and stuff. They were more than good. They were outstanding. Uh, oh, cool. They played really well. They brought some of their own people, you know, as, as bands are wont to do, you know, you tell somebody you're playing, they come and see you. And so they had some of their own people, but I mean, they just played really well and they played the right kind of music and they, they were really entertaining. All, that was, that part was great. But the problem is this club, it's the perfect club to do these fling fests. They totally this is the get the stone it. church, the stone church. They totally get it. Uh, absolutely the right room. It's in the right proximity to everybody. The staff there is super friendly. Everything is great except the stage sound. It is either awesome or 
absolutely horrendous. And more often than not, it's the latter. I've had it awesome once there. In fact, I raved about it on this show. But uh, we got on stage, and so you know we were the third band to play. But they've got a digital mixer. We had a good sound check. They set everything right. I'm using in-ears, so really, there's nothing, there's no even feedback to worry about. You know, we got on stage, and I, I mean, it was as though somebody had just like mashed the console around. There was no, there was no resemblance to what the sound check was like. And I have no idea why this happens there, but it happens. And it's really frustrating being on stage and just not being able to hear or hearing one or two things much like way too loud. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show. I don't want to be the guy that spends, you know, the first three songs constantly asking for more. I had asked the sound guy if I could, cause it's a digital board. I said, can I, can I just log into it and mix any changes I want from the stage? He's like, no, just ask me. I'll do it. I'm like, okay, fine. I don't want to step on his toes. You know, it's fine. Um, but it was just a mess. And so about halfway through, I said, I finally realized, okay, the one thing I need is ru- more like more of Russ's guitar, which is to say, I need to hear Russ's guitar because I noticed I was watching his hands to know, like, to make sure we were in sync in songs. I literally couldn't hear him at all. So I asked for that and that, that made it better. It, it made it, but like harmonies, I was hearing more in the air from Aaron, you know, 10 feet away at his keyboard than I was in my ears. And, uh, really frustrating um so i've decided at that room i i we just need to mix our own monitors house sound is always stellar uh they always do a great job at making it sound the right way in the house not it's it's loud it's rock and roll but it could be a lot louder they don't you know we tell them look it's a family gig and we have the you know don't you don't feel like you have to shake people out of their chairs with with all this low end or anything just you know Get the vocals in the room, get things sounding good. It doesn't need to be a super loud mix. And they do a, they do a good job with that. But uh, stage sound there, it's just, and it was awful for the kids too. Um, but everybody dealt with it. You, you know, to, to their credit, I asked everybody the next day, um, even, the, even the first band, I pinged the drummer and I'm like, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, was your monitor mix good? I thought maybe theirs would, would have been because they played first. So they sound checked last. He's like, oh no, it was, it was terrible. Like, okay, <laughs> well, thanks for dealing with it. He's like, no, oh, it's part of the drill. You know, you just do it. But um, I would love to be relaxed and happy on stage at that place at one of our fling fests one of these days. <laughs> it's really yeah, relaxed and happy is the goal. It's, it's um, I tell you, there is a black art to sound, you know, what happens from between sound check and that used to happen to us when we, the, the Mac all stars would play, mm-hmm. you know, like sound check. And we would do those long sound checks that were essentially rehearsals. Yeah. And we would get pretty comfortable yep. and then put six bodies in the room. And all of a sudden it was, but you see, know, the, the thing is when we do a fling gig where we do our own sound, it is always stellar on stage mm. always. And we're doing the, you know, what I call the braille mix because we don't have somebody in the front of house. Um, you know, we mix our own sound. We know what to do. We've gotten really good at it. And sometimes, you know, somebody in the crowd will say, oh, we need, you know, this louder. Well, okay, fine. We fix it. But for the most part, house sound is awesome and stage sound is stellar. So we've, we're used to being relaxed and happy on stage. And it's a shame that we do these fling fests um, in a way that, that we can't do that. So I, I'm just going to talk to the, the people there. And if we can mix our own monitors, I'll be happy. You know, I know how to do it. I know how to ring out feedback. I'll just, we'll take care of this. You take care of that. Everybody's happy. I, in, in theory, it sounds like a good idea. 
I wish you luck. Thanks, I, like man. I, said, I, I believe there's a there's a black art involved somewhere that things change, and then there's the law of unintended consequences that when one thing changes, everything goes downhill. Well, that's definitely true. And and that that same experience that we have, you know, we had with the Macworld All Star gigs is true at the Stone Church. The room has really low, especially on the stage, low and bouncy ceilings. So as soon as you get, you know, whatever, 50, 100, 150 people in the room talking, it changes everything on stage. But my in-ear mix should not change. That's the thing that always astounds me. It's like, how did we get, what happened? Like, it just doesn't make sense. There are, there are, there's a million things, you know, do guys sound check at voice level or do they sound check at singing level? Do they sound check six inches away from the mic or right on the mic? No, you're right. Yeah. But see, I know these guys in fling though. That's the thing. And I know that they, I know how they are. And I, yes, some of them sing it at, at stage level. Some don't. And I, I I can account for all of that. Um, Yeah. It's just frustrating. I hear you. Yeah. It's frustrating. Cause I want to do one of these gigs where I'm like, like the last one where I was happy and everything sounded great. I, that's what I want. I've, I've, I've touched, I've touched heaven. I want to go there. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) I've seen this. Yeah. It was good. I have been to that. All right. We got an interesting email from a listener, Patrick. And, um, I think it's actually a really ripe area for a discussion. All right. So I'm going to read the email so we can uh, let everybody hear what we're talking about here. Uh, But I think this is going to evolve into a really cool conversation. So uh, hi, Paul and Dave. Love the show. Thank you. I'm a 39-year-old high school special ed teacher and a weekend warrior who loves working with kids and performing music. But what I would really love to do is make my living full-time from music. I've been crunching numbers and a full-time living from gigging just doesn't seem to add up. But a logical combining of my skills and passions has me considering going back to school to pursue a degree in music education, either to work as a music teacher in a public school or as a foundation to start a business doing private music lessons. My question, dilemma, secret shame is this. I love that secret shame. Uh, I never learned to read music or took band chorus as a student. What do you think my prospects are for learning to read music effectively at my age? I've been playing bass and guitar and singing in bands for the last 15 years, and I feel like I have a decent grasp of theory, but no formal training other than a handful of bass and guitar lessons and the considerable wisdom that I've gleaned from other players. I know that I'll be at a disadvantage compared to a kid who has studied music since grade school and can sight read on his instrument, but believe me when I say that if I choose to take time away from family and gigs to do this, as well as spend the tuition money, I will be all in as far as doing the work and putting in the study woodshed time is concerned. Anyway, thought this might be an interesting topic for you to discuss in your podcast. If not my specific question, then maybe the more general question, how do I make a living in music? A lot of people have that dream, I think. I think a lot of people get to a place where they've been in their job, they have a little bit of security, um, and uh, you know their passion weighs heavy on them as to whether they could be giving more of it and maybe all of it in terms of their, their financial uh, life. It's, a, it's an interesting question. It's a tough question. Um, I'll start by saying, well, maybe maybe a good place to start is just kind of think about, let's do another reality check. We do this from time to time. Uh, what do gigs pay in different parts of the country? Because obviously, yeah. you know, here in Silicon Valley, it's very, 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 very expensive. It's, it, you know, the, the formula that people use to make a life and li- living work, we'll talk about it in a second. But I would say the numbers would be pretty darn hard to, to add up. What, what is an average, like here for a, a band that is, 
decent, but doesn't necessarily draw thousands of people to a club, right? You know, the going wage is a hundred bucks a man. Yeah. So I would say this, that's what I'm saying. Let's do do a reality check. In Austin, it was 50 and I think it still is, but it's cheaper there. Well, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think a band of any serious concern, um, you know, there are bands that won't go out for less than three, four hundred a person. I mean, they just that's they, right. They, yeah. they have other ways of making a living. That's and right. I would imagine. So I would say for the average guy in this kind of category that you and I are in, a hundred bucks a man is a minimum. Yep. Less than a hundred bucks is, is a not paying good gig. A hundred bucks a man is a average gig. Two hundred starts to you know be a pretty good yep. payday. Three hundred and above is a really good payday. Yeah, right? I agree with that. Yeah, I would imagine that's what it is. You know, of course, the, sh- the shameful thing that this is probably less than it was in the seventies, right? I, it's the drinking age. I, I really, I firmly believe, and I'm not necessarily advocating that we lower the drinking age in the country, I, but I will point out that that is when people stopped filling clubs. Well, also, to see music. Least, no smoking in clubs, right? That, I've heard that, that a lot. That, but no, but it's that because I've been very aware of that. We, I was in Austin when they did away with smoking, and then here in New Hampshire, we were one of the last states because so much of our tourist business comes from this eight mile stretch between Boston or between Massachusetts and Maine. Yeah, and they wouldn't change New Hampshire until Massachusetts and Maine changed. And we watched what happened in Mass, and we watched what happened in Maine. And every club and the same thing happened in Austin, like almost 10 years before the club would see a uh, two week period where attendance was low. And this was music or not. It didn't matter. It was just bars in general would see two weeks. And then after two weeks, it would go right back up to the level that it was at. And it was exactly true everywhere. Now, if New Hampshire had, had changed before Maine and Mass had, would we have seen people flock to those other places that aren't that far away? Maybe but to be fair, we didn't see people flock here when they changed their laws. All right. So, so whatever it is, yeah. you know, pick your poison. The point being, but I think, I think the drinking age, it's just less people that can be in the bar at, you know? Yeah. But they're also charging 10, 12 bucks for, you know, cocktails in many places now. I mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of econ- economic principles that are moving targets for understanding this. The big Uber picture is, you know, in the seventies, you probably made more money, actual dollars, not even, yeah. not even adjusted, right? You know, yeah, you adjusted, correct. It's even more depressing. It's, it's even worse. You made yeah. more dollars, you know, to, for, for playing music. So, um, anyway, a hundred bucks is kind of an average base for a decent band. 200 bucks starts to get interesting. Less than a hundred is bad pay. I mean, I don't know if there's any other, uh, other way to put it. And then when you, once you get above 200, 300, that's a good payday. Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, but I think it, it in the context of answering his question, it's important to remember that there are musicians, uh, and I, I'm one of them. I think you are too. That sometimes will get that three, four hundred bucks, you know, per man per gig. But the next night, you might still be playing for a hundred bucks. Yes, it, it's not like once you get three hundred, you always get three hundred. Oh no, 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 no! I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making that point no, at all. I know, no, I know, you're not. I just wanted a to good paying gig versus not a good paying. Yeah, gig I just wanted to be clear gig. about that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's actually a really interesting point in that in order to, to string together a bunch of activities that, you know, you can sustain yourself on. Yeah. Some people take as many gigs as they can and 50 bucks is better than nothing is yep. one, certainly one way to look at it. Interesting conversation as to once you're once you take a $50 gig, 
have you lowered your bar yeah. and can you keep focusing on, you know, you know, work, work expands to fit the space that you give it. Right. So if you, if you say, I won't go out for less than a hundred, will you be more adept at finding hundred dollar gigs? I guess is, is one way to look at it. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. I mean, you no, know, if, if that's what your bar is, you're going to gravitate towards conversations, people, activities, they're going to get you into the ballpark you want. And, you know, but if you're hanging around with $50 gig type people, you're going to get $50 gigs. So yeah. anyway, that's philosophical. So um, the guys in my band who are full-time musicians, they're music educators. So I would say uh, one, two, four of the 10 guys in my band, five of the 10 guys in my band are, they teach or do some other activity. Like some of the horns um, manage high school marching bands on a contract with a public school. Oh yeah. So that's, you know, an, a, a source of income out of music and then the gig. And, you know, they're great for all, for all gigs. And again, $50 is often, you know, like if I book a gig, that's a 50 buck gig. Actually, we don't really take very many of those ever anymore, but it, the philosophy is, is some money can be better than no money. Right. $50 gigs just have to be justified. I guess that's the thing is like, we, nobody wants to make that a, make that a, a habit as opposed to an exception. Um, so you add it all up and, you know, if you're teaching four five, six lessons a day, you know, what would you say an average lesson income is? Lessons. Yeah. I'm trying to think my son is now taking bassoon lessons and I want to say it's about 50 bucks an hour. Yeah. I th- I think that's that's I mean it, his first one is this week so that's why I don't know off the top of my head because um, yeah. I haven't had to pay the the woman regularly yet but um, yeah I'm looking at my text messages here but I, yeah I think it's about fifty bucks an hour there's something about fifty bucks an hour you can probably teach about six hours a day so that's you know and that's if you're full and that's you know you need some time to ramp up to fill yeah right you no know, right, right that would be a lot if you had six lessons a day five days a week thirty lessons a day. 30 lessons a week. Is that right? Uh, three, 30 lessons a week. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's 1500 bucks a week. Yeah. You know, that's, I guess, you know, in many parts of the country, you can start to live towards that. Yep. And then if you're going to gig, I mean, really realistically, you know, Sunday through Wednesday are going to be really casual. If, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, then, it's Sunday afternoon gigs. If you're, you know, I would say, and, and maybe this branches the conversation out, but there's a couple of things, you know, be willing and able to play all styles, Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and learning how to read is uh, it. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't go through his email here. So did he say what instrument he plays? He says he plays bass, bass and, guitar. and guitar. Okay. So learning how to read would be, would certainly open more doors and cause you could start getting theater gigs and that kind of stuff. And you absolutely need to be able to read to do that. Well, his question was actually, there's, there's, you're answering a different question, but we should, we should indulge that. Yeah. His, his, his question is, is after playing for 15 years and as a 39 year old guy, can someone learn to read, you know, with all sorts of bad habits built in, <laughs> you know, is there a barrier to learning to read later in life as opposed to when you first take up your instrument? I, I from guitar players that I've talked to that have done it, um, most guitar players that can read have done so sort of as a second act, if you will. Uh-huh. Most, well, most guitar players don't learn how to read sheet music when they're learning how to play guitar because uh-huh. the two are pretty much unrelated. Like learning how to play guitar and understanding what to play 
and then learning how to translate what's written on essentially a staff that's built for piano to what it looks like on your fingers are two completely different things. When I took guitar lessons, my teacher was against having me read from a staff, but I'm like, I I think I mentioned on the show, like, dude, I need to do this. So we did, we did like two or three months. And finally I was like, okay, uncle, you know, I, I know, I, I understand enough of the relation between that piece of paper and this fretboard Please stop. And he was like, great, we'll go back to tablature. (laughs) Oh, it was awful. And he told me it was going to be awful. He said, I don't do this with my students because they quit. And, and, and now I understand why, because it it's, he says, it's like his, his description was, it's like reading for six pianos simultaneously. And, and so I don't think you're at any more of a disadvantage than any other guitar or bass player coming in. Well, I, I, Steve reads fluently and, yeah. you know, and he also understands theory fluently. I, I, I actually slightly different while I understand and I know that most guitar players don't read because you can get away with not reading in many ways. Yes. I do think it is a, you know, especially if you want to go into music education yeah, oh, yeah. and also if you want to be a well-prepared musician, I think, um, I think those are fundamental skills. I actually think that, you know, even a guitar player, if you want, especially if you want to, create a life from music. And, and what you were saying is really interesting to create a life from music really means you have to be ready for almost any kind of situation that could use your services That's and be able to take advantage of those things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I will say, I, I don't know that there's any reason why. So you're saying most guitar players, you know, have learned to read after learning to play. So if they know how to read, and I would say that most guitar players I know do not know how to read, but of the ones that do, it was like, I learned how to play guitar and then I added this other thing. I bolted this other thing onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe part of the answer is what kind of work is around you. I mean, if you're going to get, are you right. going to get studio work? Or are you going to get, you know, or is it literally just lessons and, and, uh, and playing and sitting in with other bands? You know, if it's most cover situations, I guess chart reading is probably the most important thing, you know, so understand enough about how to work your way around a chart and a roadmap for a song. Yeah. That would be the, that would be the minimal that you would need to know. Right. But I, I actually think if you are serious about music education, you need to know theory. You need to know, um, you need to know how to read, um, and you need to be able to explain how to read. And so, which is a different skill. A whole, that's a whole right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a whole other thing. But, yeah. But I don't. I, to answer his direct question, I don't see any reason why thirty-nine-year-old guy who's been playing for fifteen years, there's any barrier if you're focused on on making it happen. No, I mean, it, 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 think of it as like anything else. learning another instrument. Yes. Would it have or been easy? language? Right. Would it have been easier when you were eight? Yes. yes. Without question. Your mind is a sponge at that age. You know, it's less of a sponge as you get to be older. It's, you know, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You just, but what it means is you need to commit yourself to it. And the difference between an eight year old brain and a not eight year old brain is you have the, ex- the life experience to know because you play guitar that if you commit yourself to something, you can learn how to do it. And I, I feel like that is what makes this. I mean, there's a lot of things that make learning whatever your second instrument is much easier. And some of it is just, you know, you know, you know how an instrument is played. You understand all that, but, but you also understand this concept of this is a foreign thing to me and I'm just going to power through it. And I know that my brain is going to process this and one day I'm not going to be able to do it and I'm going to try anyway. And then suddenly I can do it. And that's how your brain works because you did it. You tried it for, you know, 25 days prior and it's just how it goes or whatever it is for you, but you know, you, so yeah, I think you can. 
Yeah. I would say my last thought on this whole concept about, you know, pitching your your current career to indulge your love in music is it's not just a dollars and cents thing. You should also really, really, really weigh the romance of of, of this perception about a life in music. I mean, you know, gig until two in the morning and then having to wake up and, you know, get ready for lessons. And, uh, you know, once something becomes a job, it's different. You, for some people, it's awesome. It's that, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Maybe. No, but, that's but not when true. It is truly, <laughs> well, when it is truly the thing you love, and then, you know, when you're coming up a little short for rent at the end of the month, or, you know, when you can't do the things you used to do when you had a regular gig, you know, you may say, hey, but I'm playing music. But you also may say, Ugh, you know, why doesn't music pay better? Why did the, why are those club owners so difficult? Why, you know, why do I got to chase down these parents to pay me for these lessons? Why did, why don't these kids practice? Right. You know, so I, I would just say, hold the romance of the idea up to the light really, really hard. I'm not, I'm not advocating either way. You, you know, Patrick and anybody else evaluating this may have thought about it, but, um, you know, that's one thing, you know, work is work, you know, it's, it's obligations and it's, it's yep. uh, expectations and it's, you know, it's a lot of things that uh, make the world go around. It's not all, you know, adoration from appreciating people, appreciative people for your art. I, I would ask yourself this question because, and this is me definitely projecting me out there. There are days when like I, I, I play now and I say that I play because I love it, right? I have other sources of income that support me and my family. And, and we're very fortunate in that regard. And part of being fortunate allows me the flexibility to come and, and play gigs and, and do this podcast and all this other stuff. Right. Uh, but even with that, there are times when it's, you know, four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and I'm like, all right, I got to pack up all my stuff and drive to the gig and I'm going to be out till, like you said, two in the morning, whatever it is. All right. You know, I got to rev myself up like, okay, here we go. And then once I'm there and playing, I'll have moments where I love it, you know, bliss. But a lot of it even now is just, I mean, getting equipment in and, you know, operating on somebody else's schedule and all of that stuff that is required for this is work. So ask yourself how much of that you already go through and do you want that? And maybe the answer is yes. And and maybe even though you know that it's going to be work at many levels and then there will be this enjoyment too, maybe that's okay. And maybe making, you know, half your income, if you can support yourself on half your income and you're doing this other thing, playing music in the time that you're working, well, maybe that's enough and and that's okay. But I think, you know, to your point, Paul, holding a, you know, taking a sharp look at this before you dive down this path. I've, I've known people that have done it. I did it for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was on the road, that was my income and it, it paid, I, I didn't need to rent the house that I was renting, but I did because we, you know, that was part of the deal. Um, but being on the road covered all of my expenses. I didn't have anything extra, but it covered all my expenses and it was this sort of all-inclusive experience. But that's being on the road. Being at home, your job is not an all-inclusive experience. <laughs> you know, you've got downtime. So you are going to want to do some of these other things for your own leisure. And you've got you to make sure you've got time for that. I'll close with this. It seems of the people I know, I'm thinking as you're saying this stuff about 
the, the full-time musicians that I know. I don't know anybody who would tell somebody don't do it. I don't know anybody who would say, you know, it's not a rewarding life or anything like that. Right. I know several who it was never an option to do this or anything else. It's who they are and what they do. And, you know, they, they think music all the time. And, you know, it was just like some people know they're going to be an engineer. Other people know they're going to be a musician. And so they just grow up like that. And, you know, this is their career. I'd say that there definitely is the category of people who had a lot of fun in their 20s and have a hard time um, later in life. You know, life is a little harder um, financially um, when, you know, kind of burned out early, living hard, partying hard, you know, touring hard. Um, there seems like that that can be difficult. You know, there are people who and extend their love, you know, they become recording engineers or, you know, they contribute every scene, you know, their, their local, local uh, commercials being made. And, you know, there's, there's some studio work in most scenes, a lot of studio work in some scenes, you know, and getting some of that type of work is fairly civil and decently paying, but yep. you know, it's a grind. It was easy. Everybody would do it. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, the old adage is, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. I don't know anybody who greatly regrets it. I know some people who it it has created ramifications for their life that are a little bit hard to deal with. You need um, to you need to accept that you're going to be broke, or or living close to you probably what you would if you have like a job that's paying you you know far more than minimum wage and all of that stuff. Uh, if you've got a career that you're going to give up, you are going to feel like you are broke working as a musician, and maybe not. I mean, maybe you'll maybe you'll be able to make it all happen. But you have to go into it knowing that you're going to drive a, you know, a, a used car. You're not going to go buy new cars anymore. You know, like, like accept all of those realities. And then if it works out better than that, fine, great. You know, go buy a new car if you want. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're really ready for the lifestyle and not overly glossy about the lifestyle, yeah. it is work. It is hard work. It is, you know, constantly scrambling for work. If, if you are really ready to embrace that stuff, you, you know, it could be very, very rewarding and satisfying but hold it up to the light and, and evaluate the romance versus the reality and I, and see what that reveals for you. So, or maybe anyway. you'll be like Jan. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I think two you'd week, already know. Two weeks in a row. You know, right. we got we got one end of the spectrum and now we're we're dragging somebody else down to the other. <laughs> Hysterical. Yep. All right, Patrick, yeah. thanks for the question. We love when you guys give us questions that that uh, can turn into a whole show. I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation. It it Certainly crosses my mind. You did it for a while. Yeah, but not long, not long enough to, to, to really know what, like there's a, there's a big difference between months and years. And I did not do years. As the, as the beach boys say, it goes, it goes through your mind. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to gig all the time? Yeah. Wouldn't, if that, if that all you had to do to, to make a living, wouldn't it be nice? So wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? All right. Cool, Dave. Very cool. Feedback at gigabpodcast.com is how uh, I believe it was listener Paul. Is that right? Patrick. Patrick. Sorry. I see. I told you I'm totally out of sorts today. Uh, thank you, Patrick. And uh, that's how he wrote us. And you can write us the same way. You can find us on Facebook at gig gab podcast. Very good stuff. Anything else that we have to share with them today before we send them all on their way? No. Okay. I think we're good. All Catch right. You guys soon. Thanks for being patient with us in case there's something radical that happens between when we record this and when uh, the show goes out with our out of being out of sync and giving us a week to catch up and we'll see you next week. 
Happy right? travels, Dave. So. Thanks, man. You too. All right. I'll hold down the West Coast for you. Thank you, bro.